Today we talk to Nick Wichard about Covenant. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us today on Preach Impediments. Today I've got Nick Wichard with me, and he and I are going to be discussing covenant. I was excited to have Nick on the program with me. He is not a preacher, but he is a man who loves to serve God and loves to talk about God and takes opportunities to go out and preach God's word wherever he might be. He's the husband of Malika, a beautiful wife, and two lovely daughters. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina. He works in the information technology field, but I tell you, you're going to find he knows a lot about the Bible. Let's get started. To get us started, Nick, I'm going to ask if you will give us a good, just common everyday man's definition of the word covenant. Sure. At least as I understood it, the, the word carries with it the idea of an agreement, um, more like a contract. And that's the way I've always approached the word. Um, the more I look at it, there may be a, you know, a little more to it than that. But that has helped me in, in my understanding of the word to, to sort of approach it as a, an, an agreement or contract. Okay, so from a biblical perspective, what are some of the ways or agreements or covenants that you read of in Scripture? Sure. So you have God in, in the Old Testament. So if we start in the Old Testament, we'll see God making uh, an agreement uh, or covenant with uh, Noah uh, in Genesis chapter 6. Um, you know, uh, and, and then uh, uh, when and maybe it's Genesis chapter 9 where the flood, after the flood has occurred, God uh, promises uh, that he's not going to destroy the world by flood again. So here God is making this agreement with uh, not just Noah, but in Genesis chapter 9, it's with all mankind. Um, and, and thus God says he's going to put a bow in the clouds or in the sky, and that's going to serve as a sign of that covenant. He's going to use that for, uh, you would think he would be using it specifically to remind man. What's interesting is that the, the way the text sort of talks about it, God would use it to, to re remember his own covenant. So it's, an interesting, so it's interesting the way it's worded there, that God is using that, um, that sign of the covenant to remind him that he has put it in place. Not that he needs reminding. I think it's more to convey this idea to us that God is in this relationship with us, in this agreement with us. One of my favorite uh, understandings of the story of Noah and that covenant is that the word bow, we, we automatically think of rainbow because that's the bow we see in the clouds. But the word bow there is the same word they use for the weapon, a bow and arrow. And if you look at the shape of a rainbow and you compare it to a bow and arrow, which direction is the arrow pointing? If you draw a bow and the shape, it's pointing up. 
So what you have there, like you said, the, the way the language reads is supported by the actual image of the rainbow, that it is God placing, uh, essentially saying, I will keep this even on threat of death. Not that God can die, but it's that idea of even if it means being hurt myself, I will keep this agreement. Yes. Completely what other agree. covenants do you read of? Uh, I think about the covenant God made with Abraham and uh, seemingly a, a series of covenants. And not just with Abraham, but Abraham and his descendants. Um, you know, what's interesting is it seems that sometimes the word promise, as we use it, it has some connection to the idea of covenant. Uh, where God is making a promise to Abraham, but it, there's sort of this element of covenant there where God is making this you know, contract or agreement with him in places like uh, Genesis chapter, chapter 12. Um, and then again in Genesis chapter 17, more, more, probably more spe specifically, where the word covenant is used multiple times. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, really probably all the way down to verse 14 or so. And he just repeats that, you know. Uh, and what's nice about that text is God is saying, I will establish this with you. God is the one, God is the initiator. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, my as I understand the word to, to refer to agreement, I'm not so sure that really capture it. If you and I were having agreement, it almost sounds like you and I are coming to an agreement. But it doesn't really work that way uh, with the covenant that God gives to man. God is the one is who, who says, this is what I'm going to do. And then this is what you need to do. And then you agree to that. It's not that you're coming up with the terms of the contract, but rather God presents the contract. Here's what it is. And what we do is we come, we agree to that. And he does that with Abraham. Um, and he tells Abraham very specifically, this is what you need to do uh, in Genesis 17. I, I like the I way you, you word that. And it makes sense that that's the way it would work. Um, God is king and we are subject. We don't have a right to come to our king and make demands. Our king has the right to come to us and say, here's what you will do because I'm the one who holds the authority. So you've got God with Abraham. God is the God. Abraham is the, the, the human, the creation. God can make an agreement with Abraham. All Abraham can do is ask. In Genesis 17, he was specifically referencing circumcision, right? So he, yep. he would give them this covenant around circumcision. So it's okay. This is what you need to do. All right. And in giving those details, what's interesting, he gives the details of verses 10 through about 13 or so. But in verse 14, he, he, he gives sort of the, the other side of it. He says, here's what it means to break the covenant. And I, I thought that was interesting, that, that God not only gives the terms around what you must do to keep the covenant, keep the, and I like to think of it as, again, the contract, keep the terms of the contract, uh, but then here's what it means to break uh, the contract. Uh, and that may not seem comforting, but I think it's comforting because this covenant idea um, is God saying, I want you to know what you're supposed to do. Right. It's not the idea of, you know, uh, maybe a parent 
who's inconsistent and the child really doesn't know, you know, what uh, will please the parent versus what displeased the parent. In, in this relationship with, with God and the covenant, God tells us what will please him. Uh, God tells us that. And I think that that is comforting. And then I know where not to go. And I think that that is comforting. And so this concept of a covenant, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful way for a loving God to say to his people, this is something you can depend upon. This is something you can trust. This is something that you can hold. Uh, it is it is firm. It is concrete. And, and I think we need that. I, I know with my children, if we go to a new place, they are always much more free to roam and explore if I give them boundaries of how far they can go. We've been places before where I don't give boundaries because I'm distracted, I'm with other adults or friends and I'm having conversation and they will hang out with us, the adults, because they're not really sure what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And they don't feel the, the freedom that comes from restrictions. And we don't like to, you know, we don't often think of it that way, but when we know where the boundaries are, that means we have complete freedom inside those boundaries. And these covenants do the same thing for us. They give us what we need to know in order to have the freedom that is available that, that God wants us to have. That's why it's called the law of liberty in the yeah, New Testament. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, it got me to thinking about driving on the interstate. You know, the, the, when we think about, you know, laws and rules, right, these boundaries uh, and how they are designed to give us freedom, you know, why would I feel comfortable driving uh, down the interstate uh, at 60, 65 miles an hour uh, with another car next to me, and the only thing keeping them in their, their lane is the paint on the road. <laughs> Why would I feel comfortable uh, doing such a thing uh, unless I understood that they had boundaries which they were holding to, and that I and they understood that I was holding to the same boundaries? Those boundaries allow both uh, of us to drive freely down the road with minimal care, right? We do it all the time. And it's because those 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 uh, boundaries are designed to give freedom, to, to allow us to enjoy uh, those freedoms. You have me thinking about sort of two types of covenants. One where, you know, God promised a covenant and then it's dependent. You know, you need to do X, you need to do Y. And then there's some, you know, covenants where God is saying, I'm just going to do uh, and even though, for example, David sinned with Bathsheba, uh, and, um, and also then had her husband, Uriah Hittite, uh, killed, um, uh, God still sort of carries forth that promise, uh, to, uh, allow the, the throne to stay in the lineage of David. Um, and of course we see David would repent, uh, of those sins, but God continues to, to, to hold to his promises. And that, now, again, that helps us when we think about covenant. Uh, to me, when God makes a covenant with you, it's sure. It, it's, it's concrete. You know, it's something that you can trust in. And I think those are, when you understand that God is promising something, that's something that you can, that can build your faith. And, and I think we always need faith builders. And, and knowing that God, a God who cannot lie, uh, promises 
uh, and will hold his end of the bargain, I think that gives us a confidence. I think we need that confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. Hey, this is Adam. I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will likely enjoy my books that have come out by Eden Hollow. Head over to EdenHollowBooks.com and check out some of the books you can pick up today. Now, let's get back to the topic. There is a another distinction between covenants. There are covenants that can be fulfilled, and there are covenants that are eternal. Yes. You know, there are some covenants that say, I will do this, and then once he's done that, the covenant, it's done. It, it, you know, everybody's signed on the dotted line. You know, that, that ends the covenant. Whereas there are other covenants that, that cannot be fulfilled. And now we've got, you know, there are, they are maybe a better way to word that is they are continually fulfilled, but there's no end. And so maybe there's a difference in the way we understand that also. Yeah, Genesis 17, uh, I think, in, in verse 7, where he talks to Abraham, uh, he says, he uh, this covenant that he was making with Abraham and his descendants, he says he was making it for an everlasting covenant. Um, and, you know, it, it was going to uh, be certainly beyond Abraham's time, even beyond our time, as you think about this concept of uh, those who were going to be blessed as a result of Abraham were going to be um people like you and I, right? Uh, those yeah. that would be obedient in Christ Jesus. And that was going to be an everlasting covenant. So that's that's one example of that everlasting covenant. Um, and, and then to your point, there are covenants where God says, you know, I will do this. And it's a point in time, right? Yeah. Where, uh, you know, the, the children of Israel, uh, they would be, they would receive the land promise. That was a point in time. God would give them uh, the promised land. He would fulfill uh, that promise or that covenant. Yeah. Well, let's get into the, the new covenant. Are there any major differences between the types of covenants we read in the Old Testament to the new covenant? I, I think when I, when I think about the New Testament covenant, I think about the covenant really that, that is made uh, with Jesus. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as uh, his agreement... Uh, to to pay the price for sin. Well, that was not dependent on us. You might argue that that is a um, 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 independent uh, covenant. Yeah. It, 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 uh, you know, the Bible uses phrases like "for by grace you are saved," um, and and the idea is that someone died for my sins, and it didn't have anything to do with how good I was or what I did. Uh, you know, um, uh, Romans chapter five, you know, Romans uh, uh, five, verse four, I think it is, uh, where the Bible says um, God demonstrated his love uh, that in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, so when I was in sort of the worst possible state, uh, Jesus died. So I know that I didn't uh, do anything right to make that happen. Uh, this was something that Jesus chose to do. Uh, now, in order to come in contact with the blessings associated with his death, he's made that dependent. I have to do some things to show that I'm willing to accept his free gift. 
Well, it makes me think of Jeremiah chapter 31. And this is repeated and quoted over in Hebrews chapter 8. But he says, this one, this new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I'm their master. So there's, there he says, here's the problem with that covenant. It's that nobody did what they were supposed to do except for me. That, that's what God admits. And then he says, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teachings within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Yeah. And the reason I like that is because you think back to the covenant that he made with the house of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. That one was based on fear. And that's why he showed himself in that, uh, the, the thunder and the lightning and the fire on top of the mountain. It says he did that so that they would fear him. Well, that covenant's based on fear. Secondly, that covenant was based on the, the, the physical act of being a nation and worshiping as a nation. And third of all, their law was written on tablets. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was something that they could see. For our covenant, and you can probably point out a dozen more differences here, but for our covenant, it's based on love. You know, this new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, Jesus says. So it's based on love. It's based on God's love for us, as you quoted there in Romans chapter 5. He, he loved us while we were still sinners, while we were helpless. He showed his love for us. It is not a physical kingdom or a physical nation we are a people that belong to a heavenly kingdom and then third we got a law that's written on our heart not written on tablets of stone i think one of the unique uh, aspects of this covenant is that god sees us as as his children uh with jesus being like a brother to us i mean we have been elevated to um, so this very close, intimate relationship with the Father, uh, even being able to refer to him as Abba, um, yeah, sort of this very uh, intimate, uh, dear uh, term to be able to refer to the Father. Uh, there's a closeness, a nearness in, in this covenant. Um, uh, to your point, I, uh, it, you look at the, the, uh, the old covenant, there was that sense of fear. Um, the people wanted uh, um, <laughs> uh, uh, Moses to speak on their behalf. Uh, uh, you know, the mountain shake. And in this new covenant, God is drawing near. I mean, literally trying to draw near to us uh, and have uh, and, and, and so that we can have an intimate relationship with him. Yeah. I mean, it, again, we, we could probably spend all night just talking about some of these differences. Uh, like you said, drawing near versus put boundary stones around the bottom of the mountain so nobody approaches because if they do, they're going to die, you know, yeah. whereas we're invited in and we are to, to even invited into the Lord's home uh, yes. in the end. And that, that is uh, amazing. Uh, to me, one of the, the greatest differences is the next couple of verses of Jeremiah 31 
where it says, for I will forgive their iniquities and never again remember their sins. Yeah. And that is, that is a new guarantee and promise that they did not have under the old covenant. That's correct. And that, that is, that is amazing. I tell you what, that was a fun discussion. Thank you, Nick, for spending the time with me. I hope you were able to truly get out of that just how important our covenants are and that covenants work different ways at different times in scripture. You really have to pay attention to what's going on. I hope you also see how blessed we are to have a covenant with a God who loves us so much, a God who is willing to do so much for us so that we can be made right and right in a relationship with him. I hope that this episode was beneficial to you. Discussing these big words can be daunting, but I hope we helped you gain some much needed understanding. I especially hope you can use what we've discussed today in some way to grow in your faith. Make sure to tune into Thursday's episode where I dig even deeper into our word of the week. If you've not already, subscribe or follow Preach Impediment so you don't miss a single episode. We also have a Facebook discussion group you can join in discussing these great words of faith. Leave us some comments there and give us a rating on your podcast player. And most of all, if you're willing, share this podcast with others. The more who hear it, the more people who will be prepared to better understand God's Word. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.